0: Walter Brueggemann gets huge credit on this sermon I am just about to preach. So very much of what I will say this morning comes directly from his book, Praying the Psalms. And as Amy already alluded to in inviting us into worship, our life of faith, this is a Brueggemann sort of understanding, our life of faith consists in moving with God in terms of three movements being securely oriented, being painfully disoriented, and being surprisingly reoriented. And in our lives, each of us in motion along the flow of that movement from orientation to disorientation to reorientation and round and round and forward and backward and here and there and back again, Lingering extra long in disorientation for a time now, or blessedly sheltered in reorientation then. But Brueggemann has a critical word to speak of orientation. And our psalm series was put together by some folks who were looking at Brueggemann's sort of understanding. And I find it interesting that, because I actually read Brueggemann this week, and I was like, I can't believe they actually included orientation. Anyway... Brueggemann has a critical word to say about orientation, relating it to the experience of security and equilibrium and a sense of confidence when all seems well with the world. While many, if not all of us, long for that sort of steady equilibrium, Brueggemann writes of equilibrium, it is not very interesting, and it does not produce great prayer or powerful song. Well... Secure orientation, he further contends, is the mood of the middle-class church. Well, that experience of orientation, equilibrium, is expressed only sparsely in the Psalms. Because equilibrium just doesn't lead to the sorts of prayers and songs destined to live and resonate for thousands of years. It is, rather, The experience of dislocation and the grace of relocation that fuels the sort of poignant, raw, and truthful prayers and songs destined to last and resonate for thousands of years. And these psalms that we have in our Psalter, which is just a term for the collection of psalms. It's also what is on our altar this morning, a collection of our psalms. These psalms that have lasted and resonated for thousands of years, are full of the real stuff of life. The powerful, dangerous, and joyful rawness of human reality. They are, and I love this, deeply human utterances, as Kathleen Farmer wrote in the Women's Bible Commentary. These psalms that are passed down through the millennia are full of regret and success Rage and joy, sorrow and celebration, desire for revenge and songs of worship, feelings of abandonment and statements of faith, doubt and hope, the whole basket of things that make up our lives, often right next to one another in the very same psalm, the good, the bad, the benign, and the ugly The Psalms represent the full range of human emotions in conversations with God. And in all but just a few cases, these deeply human utterances are addressed directly to God. When life has gone beyond our frail efforts to control it, the Psalms offer us speech, inviting us like the psalmist, to dare to speak our anything and our everything, our deeply human utterances, to the Holy One. And that's why the Psalms, when we really dive in, make most of us deeply uncomfortable. And I say deeply dive in because so many times we only hear or sing the prettier, ex of those songs, skipping over, you know, bashing babies' heads into rocks, to name one extreme example. But if we dive in, if we dive all the way in, the Psalms are a fantastic resource in praying those things that we most fear to pray, that we never dare speak aloud, the deepest unspeakable thoughts and feelings that emerge from our lives as we flow through orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And yet, I can say all of this, and though I love in theory the way that the psalms offer us a way to voice the unspeakable, in reality, I cringe almost every time that I stop to actually read a psalm, a whole psalm, with all the nasty bits included. So many of the psalms just feel a bit too harsh, a bit too raw, a bit too vengeful a bit too vulgar, the Psalms are at odds with the normal speech of most of us, the normal speech of a stable, functioning, one might say self-deceptive culture in which everything must be kept running young and smooth. The Psalms reveal that life is not stable, that we are not oriented securely that equilibrium is mostly just a hoax, that as we proclaim in our longest night service each winter solstice, one of my favorites of the year, our world is not well or whole. But despite the too harsh, the too raw, the too vengeful, the too vulgar, there they are, thousands of years later. There they are, there they are. Or perhaps not despite those nastier bits. Perhaps they're still around because of how the psalms rub against our status quo. Written over the course of five centuries. Preserved by oral tradition. Until they were written in Hebrew around the 6th century BCE. Transcribed countless of times since then. If you listen closely, you can hear quill on parchment, and fingers on keys. Alive for nearly three millennia, there they are. I think it's because the Psalter knows that life is dislocated. These are the eloquent, passionate songs and prayers of people who are at the desperate edge of their lives. There's no real orientation, no real equilibrium. When we're really honest, there's only ever disorientation and the occasional grace of reorientation. A reorientation that always inevitably becomes, again, disorientation because Sudan or cancer or a giant homeless encampment or just failing again in one of the million small and large ways I'm particularly prone to fail, disorientation. I've struggled this week to know how I might preach Psalm 1, our particular psalm for this morning. And I finally decided not to, to instead share as I have about the psalms as a collection to explore how they've come to be Because I've decided, at least for this week, that individual psalms aren't so much to be preached as they are to be prayed. And even more, individual psalms aren't so much to be prayed precisely as is, as they've been handed to us. Although, that is lovely. We sang a version of a psalm, and and that's that's a lovely practice. But perhaps in addition to that... The psalms aren't just intended to be prayed precisely as is. They are intended to inspire our own imaginations for our own prayers, from the particularities of the dislocation of our own lives, inspiring us to take the good, the bad, the benign, and the ugly from our own lives and dare to address it to the Holy One. When life has gone beyond our frail efforts to control it, the psalms offer us speech, inviting us, like the psalmists, to dare to speak our anything and our everything, our deeply human utterances, directly to God. So that I might, for example, launch from our Psalm 1 this morning with its Happiness comes to those, and it's trees planted by flowing streams, and it's two paths, one for the just and the other for the wrongdoers. I might launch from that Psalm 1 and pray this. God of the western red cedar, the redwood the sugar maple, and the ginkgo. I don't know about happiness. Frankly, I'm more interested in some justice at long last. Reject the path of violence, yes. But too many people have not gotten that memo. Too many systems are so entrenched in violence and harm that it threatens to overwhelm me and lead me in paths of despair. And about those criminals, Why would I refuse to associate with criminals when our country is so screwed up about who it considers a criminal to be so that bankers walk free and desperate mothers sit behind bars? No. Like Jesus, let me associate with the supposed criminals and challenge the world's powers, the true criminals, until all are free, truly free. God of the Douglas fir, the giant sequoia, the white oak, and the catalpa. I don't know about happiness. Frankly, I'm more interested in some justice at long last. When will that gathering of the just take place? And can I come even though I've screwed up more than I've gotten it right, even though I've done my share of wrong, may I come. And though I'm sick of the wicked and the evil, yep, I'll call it evil, the evil that they perpetrate on this earth, its trees, and on the people and creatures of this earth, still, can we please say that those lost are not irretrievably so? Please, please. How about redemption, instead? How about reparation? True recognition of and reparation of harm done. God of the Sitka spruce, the Joshua tree, the hickory, and the weeping willow. Maybe I do know a little something of happiness. Because when I imagine us, every last one of us, as a tree planted by a flowing stream, when I imagine us, every last one of us, bearing fruit and giving life, when I imagine us, every last one of us, cooperating in just systems of flourishing, well, then I can imagine happiness. Indeed. God of the ponderosa pine, the quaking aspen grove, the flowering dogwood, and the tamarack. Make us, your trees, just, kind, life-giving, and yes, at the last, even happy. And so, amen.